extended service on Wednesday. I know that's New Year's Eve, but there's no extended service. So it'll be just service as usual. Amen. Acts 16. Acts 16, verse 1. If you have it, say amen. This is the beginning of the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Acts 16, verse 1. Then came he to Derby. Could we all stand, please, for the reading of the word of the Lord in honor of his word today? Amen. All right, you there? Okay, then came he to Derby and Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. They, passing by Messiah, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made and sat down and spake unto the woman which re resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, her... In her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. It came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, which bought her, or brought her masters much gain by Susan. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, Turn and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where we was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and their three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture, opening and alleging that Christ must needs and suffer and risen again from the dead, and that Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Some of them believe, consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and say with me, and of the chief women, and of the chief women, not a few. Praise God. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, 
gathered a company and set all the city in uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren into the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come thither. When Jason was, hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. They troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. When they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And their brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of the honorable, say with me, women, honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to, be, to, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they conducted Paul, brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city holy and given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics in, encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Other, other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange God, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were of, the, of theirs spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear something new, some new thing, really, or to talk about nothing, literally. Verse 22, Then Paul stooped, stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious, or literally the word is religious concerning demons, or they, they reverence demons. Verse 23, For I passed by and beheld your devotions, for I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you eagerly worship him, declare I unto you. Now we're going down to verse 33. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius, that means a servant of Bacchus, the Areopagite, and a woman, say a woman, named Demarius, and others with them. He goes from Athens, he goes down to Corinth. He's very discouraged. God appears to him there, telling him that he's got much people in that city to uh, reach. And he's there for 16 or a year and a half, 18 months. So this brings us into the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. When you get to the end of 18th chapter, it brings us to the end of that missionary journey. My subject this morning, having read to you a lot of scripture, is this. A passion for suke. Look at your neighbor and say, a passion for Suke. Who in the world is Suke? Let's pray. Father, I come before you right now. I thank you for your spirit, O oh God, for your presence here today, Jesus, God, that you would speak to us. I give you glory, honor, and praise and worship you today. Thank you for what you're going to do in this house this morning. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Go with me to Psalm 34. A passion for Suke. 
We are preaching the passion of the early church in the book of Acts. And the Lord spoke to me after studying most of the day and much of last night. The Lord spoke to me this morning early about the title of this message. That is to be a passion for Suke or a passion for women. A passion for women. And I'm not just talking about the gender. I'm talking about your soul. Everybody has a woman inside of them. Because you have a soul inside of you. Psalm 34, David said this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul or my suke. Look at this. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. He being a man calls his soul a woman. The soul in scripture is spoken of in the feminine gender. You are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. Are y'all with me up to this point? 1 Thessalonians 5 in the New Testament. Thessalonian, of course, the Thessalonian church was founded in this second missionary journey that we're talking about. First Second Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul during the second missionary journey. First uh, Thessalonians 5.23 says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit, most often in the Word of God, your spirit is spoken of in the, the neutral gender. That it's neither male nor female. Many times your spirit is spoken of in the male gender. But your soul, as far as I can find, is always spoken in the feminine gender. Now what's the difference? Okay, you have, you have a body, soul, and spirit. You are a three-part person. Your body is what's visible of you. Inside of your body is your spirit man. And then you have a soul. You are a spirit, but you have a soul. Now your spirit is where the Holy Ghost resides. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Now if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, your spirit is dead. You're not connected to God. You have no spiritual life. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you get filled with the Spirit of God, your, your spirit man comes alive. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul deals with your conscience, conscious and your subconscious mind. Are you with me here? Alright, so when I'm talking about your soul here, I'm talking about your mind, your will, your emotions. The conscious part of you. When you talk about your spirit, that's... that's um, Again, where you contact God with. And then you have a body. Does that make sense? When you get born again, you get saved. Your spirit man immediately comes alive. You are immediately saved in your spirit at regeneration. But your soul, your mind, is not. Your mind has to be renewed. Your soul is being saved. Your spirit got saved. Your mind or your soul is being saved. And your body will be saved. 
Say with me, my spirit is saved when I got born again. My mind is being saved. Or my suke, my woman, is being saved. And my body will be saved when it gets glorified. The Apostle Paul goes forth in this missionary journey. And I noticed something that kept jumping out at me is that these women in this missionary journey that God is moving on and upon and saving them. The Bible tells us, first of all, to back up just a little bit to give you some background here, that when they begin to start talking about going back on a second missionary journey, I'm talking about Paul and Barnabas in the 15th chapter, they discuss this missionary journey. They want to take John Mark with them. I say they, Barnabas, John Mark's uncle, wants to take John Mark with them. But you remember the first missionary journey we talked about, that there was a problem with John Mark. John Mark left them. He forsook them. He departed from them. He wasn't faithful to them. He wasn't really with them. He was and he wasn't. He left them. He went back home to mama. Amen. Now, and we talked about how serious that was. Uh, when he goes back, of course, Paul made up his mind at that point. He would have nothing to do with John Mark anymore concerning ministry. But as they're about ready to get involved in a second missionary journey, Barnabas, Uncle Barnabas, John Mark's uncle, says, Hey, Paul, let's take John Mark with us. Paul says, No way. That young man is not faithful. I won't have it. Now, no. now Paul was a strong man. He was strong before he got in the church. I mean, I want you to know he was so strong that he was persecuting the church. He was like a wild animal trying to destroy the church. And when he came into the church with the same kind of fire and zeal that he had before God, he came into the church with power and with zeal. I don't know if I would want to travel with Paul. Paul was so straight and so fired up and so dedicated. And I think another thing, he fasted too much for me. He's always fasting all the time. But he was just that kind of man. When he made up his mind, he had that kind of fire and that kind of zeal in him. If it was before the church, he had fire to put out the church. If he joined the church, he had fire to spread the gospel. And so he wasn't very tolerant when it came to people giving up. Especially people who said, I want to go with you on a mission. Too dangerous for that kind of stuff. To go on a missionary journey, a missionary tour, trying to win souls. It's too dangerous to have people that haven't been proven and haven't been tested to go with you in that type of thing. And uh, so John Mark wasn't tested, but he was allowed to go on the first missionary journey because of, you know, Barnabas uh, with Paul there, you know, being a relative. Say, come on, let John go. He can minister for us. He can wash our hands. He can row the boat. Spiritually, that's what he means to be a servant, means an underroar. He can be a servant. <laughs> so they took him. Excuse me. I'll get through this in a minute. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. I'm not going to let that stop me, though. I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I get, you know, people, they just let little, any old little things stop them from doing, even going to church. And I, I just, I'm not going to go that way. Hallelujah. But anyway, I'll get over this. You just give me a few minutes. God will touch me. I promise you. 
But Paul said, no, we're not taking John Mark with us this time. Now, as a result of that, the son of consolation, who's, who is Barnabas, got, gets into a conflict with Paul. These two men start, they're in a disagreement to make it. <laughs> they start disagreeing about this. And the Bible says that their disagreement is so strong that it brings a separation between these true, two great men of God. Great men of God. Missionary men of God. I'm talking about powerful men. Apostles of God. But because of this John Mark thing, Paul not wanting to take him, and Barnabas wanting to take him, of course, John, and Paul said, no, they get into an argument. And the word that's used here in chapter 15, and I didn't read it to you because I got enough to cover as it is, but the word that's used there was this. They were in a shouting match. I mean, you could have heard these two apostles across the street as they were going at it. And so what eventually takes place is Paul says, okay, Silas, come on. Barnabas took off. He's going to go on a missionary journey. He's going to go a different way. And uh, Silas, you can come and join me. You are prophet. You can come and join me. You can take his place. So Barnabas takes, you know, he goes another way with John, Mark, and of course, Paul and Silas go on this missionary journey, which is kind of sad because I really don't hear much about Barnabas anymore. Hear a lot about Paul and his ministry, but don't hear much about Barnabas because there's been a separation between him and that great man of God. All right, you with me here? So anyway, shows you the humanness of the church. <coughs> and it shows you that these men, they were very powerful anointed men, but yet they still had conflict. Now, we come to this second missionary journey. The Bible says that they go up to Derby. Now, they leave Antioch of Syria. I could not find my map this morning. Some teacher probably has it. I'm, I'm not sure. I wanted to show you the map, but I couldn't find it. So I got to do it in my brain this morning, okay? But down here, Antioch, if you could picture in your mind here, Antioch of Syria, all right? They're moving up through Syria. They make their way up through Derby and Lystra. They're going to go up over here. And let's, we'll just follow the text here. Chapter 16, they came to Derby and Lystra and a certain disciple uh, their name Timotheus, the son of certain women, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. When they get over there to Derby and Lystra, having passed through Syria, there to the top here in Cilicia, up here at the top, they find a man by the name of Timothy. They find that this young man has been raised in the Jewish scriptures or in the, the scriptures. Let me put it that way. She married a Greek man. <laughs> Not a Jewish man. His mama was Jewish. His daddy was Greek. Now, when she got married, I will give you a little background here. That this woman, say this woman. When she got married to the Greek man, her family would have held a funeral service for her. Because it's against Jewish law for her to marry a Greek man. But she nonetheless did it anyway. All right. At some point, this woman, Eunice, the scripture later, later gives us her name, Eunice, comes into the church, into the kingdom of God, along with her mother, Lois. So Timothy's grandma's name was Lois, and Timothy's mama's name was Eunice. And they're both in the church at this time when Paul comes up here into Lystra and Derby. 
And they find Timothy, whom the Bible says was raised from a youth in the scriptures. Now, a lot of women think that they can't raise their children in the church because they've got an unbelieving husband. Don't use that as a cop-out. This woman, Eunice here, the mother, I'll call her Sue Kay. Her real name's Eunice. This woman raised her son, Timothy, in the scripture and then brought him into the church without a believing husband. You don't have to have a believing husband to raise your children in the things of God, Sue Kay. Or woman. Or so. You don't have to. Some people use that as an excuse. Do you understand that the man has the power of authority, but you have the power of influence? If you'll raise your children, even if you have an unbelieving husband, if you'll raise them in things of God, your influence outweighs his influence. Don't use that as an excuse. I can't live for God or I can't raise my children in the kingdom of God. Sue Kay, I got scripture here that shows you you can. I got scripture here that shows you a woman that did it. And this man, Timothy, this young man, raised up, had a great reputation. He was known by those around him of being a very spiritual and a very powerful young man. When Paul comes across Timotheus or Timothy, he says, man, I want you. I mark you in ministry. Now, he did not win Timothy to God. Timothy was already a child of God. Timothy was already serving God. The faith of his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, was already in him when Paul found him. But what Paul does is he marks him in ministry. So he takes him and he circumcises Timothy, not to put him back under the law, but he marks him as a son in ministry. He circumcises him. He, not, he didn't win him to God, but he won, won him through God. He didn't win him to the kingdom. He won him through the kingdom and marked him in ministry. Do you understand? I have a father who won me to God, but I have a spiritual father who marked me in ministry. He marked me in ministry. I know I have a, I have a heritage. I know who they are. Do you know who they are? Timothy was already a believer when Paul finds him. But he said, Timothy, I see something in you. I discern that God's got his hand on your life for ministry. And so I want you to follow me and Silas in this missionary journey. Now, a little bit later, the terminology changes from they and, us, uh, they and them to us or we. And the writer of the God book of Acts is Luke. So here in this second missionary journey, also Luke, the physician, joins them. All right, I'm just giving that to you. But anyway, this great woman named Eunice has a son that she's raised up in the things of God. Whew. If it hadn't have been for Eunice, if it hadn't have been for Lois, there would not have been a Timothy. Thank God for godly women. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. If it, really, if it wasn't for women, there probably wouldn't be a church. Especially in this part of the world. And I'm talking about, you know, anyway, you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. Hallelujah. Most often women are more spiritual than men. Not always, 
But most often that's the case. Are you with me here? And in this case, it was, was true that this man, this Greek man, was not spiritual at all. But his, his wife was. Okay, the scripture goes on down then. And as their journey, now they've got Timothy with them. And the scripture says, as they went through the cities, verse 4, they delivered them the decree for to keep that were ordained to the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So now the churches are growing in number as they're going through this missionary journey here. And the Bible says when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, so they make their way through Lystra and Derbia. Derbe, that Derby that's there in that Galatian area, they make their way through that part of the country, the world. The scripture says that in their mind, in their heart, they want to go over into Asia Minor. You know, if I had a map, I could show you that straight from this area here, Lystra and Derby, if you just travel straight way over, that you would find yourself in Ephesus. In that part of the world. And that would be the logical place to go if you're in a missionary and you want to go to a big place and you want to win souls. The next logical, I said logical and reasonable thing to do is to go to that big city over in Asia Minor called Ephesus. Now, as they begin to make their way toward the east, toward Asia Minor, this would have been the area that uh, Alexander the Great would have moved in. He moved when he conquered. He moved in the eastern direction. All right, you with me here. But whenever Paul and Silas begin to go on a missionary journey, they think to move toward the east, Asia Minor, if they would have kept going east, they would have found themselves in India and China. Now listen. Why are y'all looking at me like that? But the Bible says as they're making their way, watch this. This is awesome. When they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now that specifically is not talking about Asia as we know it today. It's talking about Asia Minor. Are you with me? But if they had continued to go east, they would have ended up in Asia as we know it today. They would end up over there in Taiwan where Brother Edmonds is. They would end up over there in China, over that part of the world, okay? But <clears throat> as they journey that direction toward the east, the Holy Ghost says no. That's why we've got to be led by the Spirit. See, a lot of times we go by logic, reason, and judgment. We sit around and we look at things and it's just logical to do this and it's logical to do that. And, and that's okay as long as you're led by the Spirit. And let me explain something to you. I know it's taken me a while to get untracked here. I'm, trying to, I'm like a computer trying to process stuff. Okay, just hang with me. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, when you get the Holy Ghost, God gave you a green light. He gave you a green light. He doesn't always have to come and tell you, go win souls. Are you with me? He doesn't have to come and tell you, go to church. The Holy Ghost doesn't have to always come and tell you, pray. When you got the Holy Ghost, you got the Spirit of God in you, you got a green light to go pray. You got a green light to go win souls. You got a green light to go teach Bible studies. God, are you with me here? When God comes, when, when God comes in there and speaks to you, most often time it's a red light. You've already got a green light, that's my point. To go. But what God does sometimes, He's got to be like an umpire and say, no. Don't go. Red light, red light, red light. 
get a check in your spirit. Something tells you, no, you're not supposed to do that. Not supposed to go there. Oh, come on, somebody. See, I, you know, I'm in fellowship with God all the time. So are you if, you. if you walk with God, you're in fellowship with God all the time. And you got a green light. I don't need God to go and tell me to pray. I don't need God to go tell me to win souls. God, come on, somebody. But as I'm going along in the green light, then sometimes the red light of the Holy Ghost comes on and says, no, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go somewhere else. Some things you don't even have to pray about. I didn't have to pray about whether or not I wanted to come to church this morning. I didn't have to pray about whether or not I was going to preach this morning. I didn't have to pray about whether or not I needed to pray this morning. I didn't have to pray about giving my tithes and offerings today. I didn't have to pray about winning souls. There's some things I don't have to pray because I know I'm already supposed to do that. I've already got a green light. I don't have to pray about when I run out of groceries or whether or not I'm supposed to get in my car and drive to Walmart and buy groceries. People are super, too superstitious. They're way superstitious. Think they got to pray and ask God to go buy groceries. No, if you're out of bread, go buy bread. Hallelujah. Amen. God's good, isn't he? So Paul and Silas filled with the Holy Ghost are just going along. They got a green light until it turns into a red light. When it turns into a red light, then they stop what they're doing and they say, Okay, well, okay God, what do you want me to do then? Give God some praise. <coughs> well, Pastor, what do you think? You think I ought to change the oil in my, my vehicle? Well, when was the last time you did it? Oh, about 30,000 miles ago. Yeah, I think you better hurry and go change the oil. Uh, I've been praying. I've been asking God if I should change the oil. I, you don't have to pray and ask God to change your oil at 30,000. Man, just go do it. Hallelujah. Are you okay out there? So I got a green light this morning, and there's a lot of things I don't even pray about. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Because I got the Holy Ghost. Give God praise. And now sometimes I don't know what to do, so that's when I pray. You know, that red light comes on. Ooh, okay, where do you want me to go, God? You don't want me here. You want me somewhere else. See, okay. So that's what's happening here. So they want to go over to Asia, and the Holy Ghost says, no. Now, verse 7 says this. After they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Now, they are very, very close in Messiah. They're very close to moving into the European continent. Very close. They're, they're, they've moved through further. They're almost to the edge and about to go over to the European continent. Now, are you here? They want to go to Bithynia, which is back up here a ways. You with me here? On the map. You can look at this later. Back up here, you know. But the Holy Ghost says, no, you can't go to Bithynia. You can't go to Asia Asia Minor, you can't go to Bithynia. What are you doing, God? Here I am out here trying to serve you, trying to win souls, and we try to go here and you say no, and we try to go here and you say no. Logic's telling us to go that way. Logic's telling us to go that way, and that's all right until God says no. Hello, somebody. What would have happened if they had just overrode the Holy Ghost? 
and did what they wanted to do. They would have missed opportunity. See, God was opening up a door in another place. And they would have missed that opportunity. And no telling what would have happened to them if they overrode the Holy Ghost. you got to stop overriding the Holy Ghost. Sometimes God comes in and tells you no. And you go right ahead and do it anyway. Pretty soon you're in all kinds of problems. We all got to learn, you know. When God says no, he means no. And for me to try to step across his wheel is going to cause some problems for me. And I'll lose opportunities. So we got to walk within the spirit. Not always just to hear what God's wanting us to do. But oftentimes to hear him say no to us. Nobody likes to be told no. Thank God they weren't rebellious. Verse 8, and they passing by Messia came down to Troas. So now, boy, they're right on the seaport now. Are you with me here? European continent's just, just right over there. And they just got to get a, a boat, a Troas right there and travel over there. Now, when they're in Troas, that is where they find Luke. The physician Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke. Now, let me read it to you just a little bit. Verse 7 says, After they were come to Messiah, they are saved to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. They passed in by Messiah, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in night. There stood a man of Macedonia. Say Macedonia. See, that's Europe. That's over there in Europe. And prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we. Did you notice the change? It's they. It's them. It's you know, it, it's, it's him. Are you with me here? And after verse 10, he had seen the vision, immediately we. So now something's changed. The writer of the book of Acts, who is Luke, has just joined them. Which means this. We've got Paul, we've got Silas, and we've got Timothy. Now we've got another man by the name of Luke who's joining them. He's over in Troas. He is a physician. He's a doctor. Now, I wonder how he got in the picture here. Well, Paul picked up Timothy over there in Derby and Lystra. Well, he's going to pick up another man in Troas. See, I believe that's one reason why God said, don't go to Asia. Don't go to Bithynia. Go over to uh, this other direction here because I got another man there. And this man's name is Luke. If you go to Asia, if you go to Bithynia, we won't find Luke. And I got a plan for Luke. Because Luke's going to write the book of Acts. And he's going to write the gospel of Luke. So I got a man waiting over there. I want you to discover. I got a, a man that nobody knows about but me. And I need somebody to discover that man named Luke. Well, how are they going to find him in Troas? The Bible doesn't tell me much about him. Doesn't tell me, doesn't tell me that they went and looked for him. It just says right there, it went from he to we. Somehow he got, he just joined the group. <coughs> Which means I've got to kind of, you know, improvise here a little bit about how this happened. How did Luke get in this group? Well, he's a physician. We know that. It could be as Paul is traveling these hundreds and hundreds of miles. It's very treacherous territory, very difficult to be a missionary in this part of the world. And so this man and the pressures of ministry are, are really hard at times. And so because of all this that he's going through, his body's probably just beat down. 
He's, he, we know at times that he was a sick man. And so I believe, this is what I believe, that Timothy or Silas or maybe both of them together went and said, we got to find a doctor for Paul. We got to find a physician. And they went and they got Luke and they said, hey, we've got an apostle. And I don't know if they use that term or not, but we got an apostle named Paul and he's in need of attendance here. Can you help him? And so Luke very quickly picked up his physician's bag and made house call, run over to the apostle. Paul met Paul and all of a sudden Paul started preaching the gospel to Luke and Luke got converted and joined him. Hallelujah. And Luke looked at Paul and he said, you know what, Paul, you're going to need a little help on the journey. I can't let you just go out in the mission field without any kind of uh, medical attention because your body's weak you come under a great pressure and it's, it's a great struggle to do all this travel so I tell you what I'll just join you so now it's not just he it's not just Timothy and Paul and Silas now it's Luke that's with them and they're on this journey together <coughs> they're in Troas now while they're in Troas Paul sees a vision in the night he sees a man standing there in front of him. And this man is over in Macedonia. Again, that's on the European continent. Say Europe. He asked Paul to come over here and help us. Now, I wonder who that man was that Paul saw in that vision. Well, now, instead of following the route that Alexander the Great followed as he conquered the world in his day, following eastwardly, now Paul is going to be sent by God westwardly. Are you here? Some people believe that it was Alexander the Great that said, come over here. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, but I do know this. I know that Jephthah was, the three sons of Noah, Jephthah was the... The, the people came from Jephthah who populated this part of the world. So it could have been Jephthah that appeared to Paul and said, come over here to this continent. We need you to help us over here. I don't know ultimately who this man was. But there was a vision of a man that appeared to Paul and said, come over to Macedonia. And so Paul and they, they that are with him know assuredly that God is sending them to Europe. Sending them to that western continent. Now you better thank God for that. <clears throat> Because when Paul started making his way into the European continent, that part of the world, that's, in case you don't know it, that's where we came from. That's where the United States of America came from. Our roots are in Europe. England is our mother. Britain is our mother. So when Paul went and preached the gospel in Europe, then eventually that gospel would go from Europe over into our part of the world called the United States of America. And so because he listened to God... Predominantly, the European culture and American culture is more Christian than they that are in Asia. I've been to Asia. I've been to Taiwan. I know what it's like over there. There are very few Christians in Asia. Very few Christians in Taiwan. Uh, Brother Edmonds has been there for 20 years and got maybe 75 people there. I read about a missionary that went there for, for many, many years. I think it was 10 years. He only got one convert. So that part of the world is very, very difficult to reach with the gospel. It's predominantly, you know, Buddhism. Very hard to reach. But look, because Paul obeyed God and went westward. Go west, young man. Go west. Because he went west into Europe. Now our culture is more Christian than it is anything else. 
because Paul listened to God. So we need to praise God for this chapter right here. <coughs> now, when he gets over there into Macedonia, the Bible says in verse 11, they loosed from Troas, came with a straight course to Samothracia, next day to Neapolis, two days' journey. They leave that port in Troas, two days' journey, and they make their way over to the port of the European continent. Two days' journey. Later on in the third missionary journey, uh, when, they're going, when they're traveling, it takes them five days because the wind was contrary to them. But here it only takes them two days to get there. My point is this, is that when God sends you into certain areas, sometimes the wind is with you and sometimes the wind is against you. But whatever God tells you to do, you got to go do it. If the wind's with you or if the wind's against you, it doesn't make any difference. You still got to do what God told you to do. And when he gets there, guess what he found? You would have thought that 10,000 people were waiting for him to preach to them. God, you told me to come over here. Boy, they must be waiting for me. <clears throat> On the shorelines. Ready to hear me preach, man. They got the news that I was coming. Hallelujah. But he gets there and there ain't nobody waiting for him. Hello? Look at what the Bible says. He goes on and says this. And for thence to Philippi, say Philippi which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. Philippi was little Rome. It, looked just, just, it was a miniature Rome. It says, of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were in the city abiding certain days. So when they got there, they just rested. Are you here? They just rested. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made and sat down and spake unto the, say with me, the woman which resorted thither. So now we got another woman here. You with me? We had Eunice, T Timothy's mama. Now we got another woman in this picture here. Praise God. When he gets over there, there's not even a synagogue in Philippi. Hello. Not even a synagogue where he can go and preach the gospel. So what he does, he abides there for a little while, and he goes over there, and they decide to go down to the river to pray. When they get there, they find some women. God, is this all you have for us? It's just a, I'm not making putting down women. Don't, don't stone me. Can you imagine, Paul? I wanted to go to Asia. I wanted to go to Bithynia. And you sent me over here to preach the gospel to a handful of women by a river? Are you sure that's you, God? Hello? I mean, there's not even enough men there worshiping God to start a synagogue. you got to have 10 men to start a synagogue. You can have 50,000 women who worship God. But if you don't have 10 men, you can't start a church. Or a synagogue. You understand what I'm saying? They don't even have 10 men worshiping God here. So they haven't even started a synagogue here. So Paul goes over here and he just got, he finds a handful of women over here. And this one's name is, is Lydia. Say Lydia. A woman from Thyatira, a seller of purple. 
Amen. So she's a very well-to-do woman. She knew how to extract from the throat of a shellfish the dye that made the dye that went into the talit, the prayer shawls, and, and, and all of these various things. So she was a very well-to-do businesswoman. Hello, somebody. And so he gets over here, and by, by the way, her name means travail. Lydia means travail. He gets over there, and the Bible said they want to pray there by this river. He finds Lydia. When he gets there, she is a worshiper of God, but she hasn't been born again yet. So the scripture tells us what happens here then. And on the Sabbath, they went out to the city by Riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. A certain woman named Lydia, seller purple, the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, her and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide thither. And she constrained them. So now this one woman here in the European continent there in Philippi, little Rome, he finds her there. Praise God. And she's there. She's a woman of travail. She's a woman of prayer. And Paul sits down. He starts preaching the gospel to her. Amen? And as he preaches the gospel to her, the Bible said God opens her heart. What is your soul? Mind, will, emotions. Has to do with your heart. God opened her soul. He opened her suke. He opened her mind to receive the word of God. She was already a worshiper of God, but she just needed to hear the word of God that would bring her into a new birth experience. And, and so as Paul begins to preach the word, her heart is opened by God. And she's baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all of our sins. See, what excites me here is I got some women in this chapter. I got a woman who was the mama of Timotheus. I got a woman over here in Europe named Lydia. And both of them are walking with God. They're women of God. They're powerful women of God. They're worshipers of God. They didn't give themselves over to what most women give themselves to. Hello. And when I talk about this, I'm not just talking about gender. I'm talking about your soul. Praise God. Paul has a passion for women. He has a, in the right way. Yeah. He has a passion for the souls of men. That's why he's going out and he's preaching. That's why he finds Timothy, who is a, a product of a to find another woman here in Rome who is also going to be a woman who's going to give birth to a church who we'll give God some praise this woman here now when you talk about women I want you to be a worshiper women and I'm talking to all you souls out there I want you to be a worshiper of God when you talk about a soul, you talk about a woman, you're talking about different things. Number one, you're talking about her personality. Say personality. You know what? You have a personality today. How many of y'all believe that? God wants to touch your personality. <coughs> Instead of walking around always wanting what, you know, your rights. You need to have the attitude, not this, not I want to be right. I want everybody to see me right. 
What you have to do is walk through life and say this. I need to be made right. See, most women are concerned about their rights. About how you're treating me, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Woo. And they're always trying to prove that they're right. That's something about their personality. But you need to, as a woman, say, I'm not worried about trying to be made right or trying to be right. I'm trying to, to be made right. I recognize that I need Jesus to make me right. I'm glad in this chapter I find a woman who's not complaining because really a lot of times women think that they have a right to complain. That's their nature, you know, to nag and... And complain and, and gripe and, and murmur, you know. Come on, women. Come on, Suke. You know what I'm talking about. That's just who I am as a woman. I, I mean, women are just made to nag and they're made to complain. That's just how we are. That's just who we are. But I'm glad to tell you today there was a woman by the name of Lydia and a woman by the name of Lois who did not give in to that nature of nagging and complaining. Oh, God. They were worshipers of God. They praised God. They prayed unto God. They were women of travail. And because they were women of travail and, men, and women of faith, they produced Timothys and, and churches in Europe, powerful women of God. You can be by nature who you are, or you can be by a new nature who he is. You can get connected to Jesus and say, be through me what I need to be, because I don't want to be myself. You heard a lot of people say, well, you know. Uh, as a woman, I'm just going to be myself. No, as a woman, you don't need to be yourself. As a woman, what you need to do is that God be in you and through you is what you need. That's what you're looking for. Give God some praise. It was the devil that appeared to the woman in the Garden of Eden. So now I see a missionary talking about women that God is reaching and bringing into his kingdom. Women in the Garden of Eden. What did the Bible say? The devil appeared to her in the Garden of Eden. Now God had told Adam, I believe before the woman was made not to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't believe the woman was there when God told the, 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 the man not to eat of that tree. I don't believe she was made yet. Study it for yourself and see if you can find it. I don't believe she was there. I believe that God spoke that to the man. And here she comes into the world and it's the man's job to tell her what God said. <clears throat> uh, he must have not done his job too good. Because the Bible says that the, the devil appeared to the woman and he tempted the woman. Now, I wonder if Adam was standing right there with her. But he didn't have enough backbone to tell her what was right or wrong, you know. <coughs> But notice that the Bible tells us what the devil offered this woman. He said, you know, hey, look, it's present to the eyes. First and foremost, it's good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes. And it will give, the, give you the ability to be wise. 
And he offered that to who? The woman. It's good for food. Primary need of a woman is she needs somebody to provide for her. Give me what's good for food. Take care of me. That's what the woman needs. She needs a provider. And then, okay, we notice it's good for food, but it's also, the Bible says, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Pleasant to the eyes. So the woman, you'll watch this, her preoccupation is with looking at beautiful things. She loves it. I mean, you know, us men like that too. We like to look at beautiful cars and hot rods and all that stuff. We do too. But the woman, there's something about her that she loves things that are pleasant to the eyes. She loves beauty. She wants to be beautiful. Are you with me? So the devil is reaching for her right now. Said, hey, you know what? It's good for food. It'll meet your provision needs. And it's beautiful too. It'll, it'll meet your desire for beautiful things and to be beautiful. And then number three, it'll, it gives you the ability to be wise. And, of course, we know the woman's always trying to try to be equal with the man, you know. I'm as smart as you are. You can't tell me anything. I know it just as much as you do. So she's always trying, you know, to show how smart she is. You know, we got women's lib today. They can do anything as good as a man can. And I'm not trying to put down women. But God didn't make you equal with man. You need to understand that God made man to be an authority over your life, not to put you down. But it's, a, it's order. It's a way of doing things right. But when a woman, when the devil comes and talks to her, the devil will tell her, you need provision and you need beauty and you need to get smart because you're in competition with the man. Oh God, you don't want me to talk this morning. So they go out, they try to go out there and try to make provision for themselves. They go out there and try to beautify themselves by the way that the world beautifies themselves. Come on, women. You need to understand that the way the world uh, tries to beautify itself is not the way that God says you're beautiful. But the devil says, you want what's present to the eyes. You want to be beautiful. And this is the way to be beautiful. Come on. Now, because the woman has... uh, provision God has given her provision she doesn't have to go out there and try to make provision for herself she's already got provision God has already made the woman beautiful so she doesn't have to go out there and try to be beautiful and to walk in true wisdom the smart woman the wise woman is the woman who submits herself to the order of God not always trying to usurp but the devil says and you know what you, you need to go out and you need to get smarter than the man so you can be in competition with the man but if you do it right just get in God's order then you're a wise woman and you have the ability to instruct kings you have the ability to place in a young man by the name of Timothy the word of God that will cause him to be a, an apostle in the kingdom of God. 
So God knows what, what you, your need is. But he's already wants you to know today. He's already given you that. You have provision. You are beautiful. And you are wise when you submit to God's order. Don't get out of order. Don't listen to the devil. Don't walk around. Oh, you know, always worried about things, complaining and griping, you know, wanting more provision, you know, wanting to be beautiful the world's ways, and oh, wanting to get smarter so you can be a competition. Hallelujah. Or to show out somebody. Just trust God. <laughs> Don't take what the devil's offering you, it's a counterfeit. And so instead of trying to compete with your man, whew, hello, now I'm talking here, the soul is in competition with the man Christ Jesus. So I'm trying to tell you right now, instead of me trying to compete with the man Christ Jesus that's in me right now, come on somebody, I have to believe that he is my provider. I have to believe that he is my beauty. I have to believe that he is my wisdom. And I, have to, and I submit to him that way. And so I submit my woman, my mind, my soul, my will, and my emotions to him. And I don't let the devil come in with a counterfeit. It offers me, you know, get provision this way, get beauty this way, get smart this way, but it's out of order. It's not the way God set it up. So you need to know today, women, that you are beautiful, that you are wise, that you have provision. You have to know that you have something that that man wants. But uh, the way to do it is not to get in competition with him or not to manipulate him and say, if you don't do it my way, you don't get me tonight. That's not the way you do it. See, then you're using wisdom that's a, not wisdom of this world. You got to learn. Oh, God's good. Got to say, yeah, man, you want me. Hallelujah. And I know you want me. I have beauty and I have provision. I have what you want. But what you really need instead of trying to use that to manipulate and control your way in life to get what you want. What you need to do is say, I've got provision. I've got beauty. If you want it, just say, I appreciate it. Just say, I appreciate your beauty. I appreciate your, your provision. Just say, thank you, ma'am. Don't use that to manipulate and control. Give God praise. Woo. But I have found some women here who've learned how to give themselves to God. Learn how that they understand that I am beautiful. I have provision. I have wisdom. It's found in God. And he walking in his order and submitting to that man. So now this woman, this, this woman's already, one of them already knows the Lord, Lois, or Eunice does. And now we got Lydia, and she's going to find God, Jesus, say the new man. She said, I'm a worshiper. I'm a prayer. I'm rightly submitted to my man. Oh, God. I'm rightly submitted to my man. I'm not going to use my provision or my beauty to try to outsmart him with it. I'm not going to use my provision or my beauty to manipulate him with it. I'm just going to say, I got provision. I got beauty. Now just appreciate me. That's what the woman wants. She wants to be appreciated. God. Now, I'm just going to preach it like it is. Some of you are not going to like it, but remember, I'm talking to your soul. <laughs> Give God praise. <coughs> so she's always going around trying to establish I'm right no 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 you need to say I need to be made right give God some praise 
I got some problems in my personality. But if I can just get connected to Jesus, if I can get my soul where my spirit is, my spirit's already saved, but I got to get my mind where my spirit is. If I can get my woman where my man is, hallelujah, and I can get joined with him. Whew, that's what I got to do. I need to be made right. I'm not right. I need to be made right. God's good. Say personality. <coughs> Jesus affects your personality. Pastor, you don't know my personality. Yeah, I do. But I have hope that your soul can get where your spirit is. That you can get connected to the man, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, and start walking where you're supposed to walk. Come on, understand what I'm trying to say today. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a woman. And I need to be made right. Instead of fighting for my rights. Hmm. I'm beautiful, I have provision You need to appreciate me I'm not going to use it to manipulate and control you That's, that's not right, hello ah, And I got personality too Yeah, we know you do, praise God When you walk with Jesus It affects your personality It changes your personality It also changes your disposition Let me explain to you what disposition is. It's that outward expression of what you are inside. Oh, oh, we don't talk about that, do we? That's just how I am. That's just who I am. Yeah, that's right. And it's manifesting on the outside of us. You manifest di your disposition, your outward appearance because of who you are on the inside. If you've got Jesus on the inside, then you're going to manifest him outwardly. And a lot of women say, well, my disposition is like it is because of my circumstance or my heredity. How I was born or the circumstances I'm in, that's why I am like I am. That's my disposition. But you need to understand that Jesus Christ wants you to not walk around by your circumstances and not by your heredity. He wants you to walk in the heavenlies. He wants to renew your mind and your spirit. So you're no longer walking around and saying, well, circumstances made me the way I am. And my heredity made me like I am. No, my soul needs to be changed. I need to be changed in here because when I get changed in here by being connected to Jesus and being rightly related to Him, then He who was, a, who was God became man and walked among men surrounded by all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of things. He had a human, come on, are you with me? He had a human nature surrounded by conflict. But look at the way that He responded in the midst of that circumstance. And look at the way He responded to that humanness that was around him that's what God wants us to understand that we got to get our mind to be like his let this mind which was in Christ Jesus whew, be in you also how many want the mind of Christ 
so that you stop blaming circumstance and your heredity for who you are and how you are. You need to get the mind of Christ and understand that he walked in the, in the midst of all of that. And he didn't just react, but he acted. Give God praise. Well, if I didn't have the upbringing I had, I wouldn't be acting like I'm acting. Well, I want to tell you something. Jesus has come to you because he's got a passion for women. He's got a passion to save your mind and to change your disposition. Well, <coughs> I'm just shy by nature. And it comes out in your disposition. Oh, you need, come on, are you with me right now? You need to let God change you. You need to be a worshiper of God. Look at your neighbor and say, he can change my personality. He can change my disposition. He can change my conscience. And he can change my subconscious. How can he change my conscience? What is your conscience? Your conscience is that part of your mind that you knowingly use. Your subconscious is that area of your mind that you, you're not really in control of. Your conscious mind, your conscious woman, is that woman that you can control. You control, control what it thinks. You control what it reads. You control what it sees. Come on, are you with me? You control your mind or your conscience. Hallelujah, you with me? But there's a part of you, your subconscious, that you don't have control over. And about nine-tenths of your mind is subconscious. You don't have control over what you're thinking. So how can you change the subconscious? Well, number one, what you take in consciously into your mind knowingly drops into uh, the, the bucket called the subconscious. So if you're always feeding on stuff you're not supposed to feed on, looking at stuff you're always not supposed to look at, reading stuff, hearing stuff, meditating on stuff consciously without controlling your thought, then it fills that bucket called the subconscious that you don't have any control over. And so out of that subconscious, you have all kinds of dreams. And what are those dreams about? You've been born again. You're a child of God. But you're constantly dreaming from your subconscious about what you used to be. You dream about going back to the world. You dream of being about being that woman of the world. You dream of being about, about being that man that's in the world. Because you have filled your conscious mind with so much junk that it's fallen into the bucket of the subconscious mind. Come on, somebody. It's kind of like an asphalt. Part of it steps out, sticks up out of the top of the water, and the majority of it's underneath the water. Your subconscious is beneath the water, but your conscience is above the water. What you can control, but you can't control the subconscious without first controlling the conscience because what you put in the conscience goes into the bucket of the subconscious so I'm trying to tell you right now when you go to bed and you dream about your past life 
It's coming out of the subconscious. And some people can't get delivered a lot of times because they've got so much junk in their past. They're carrying so much garbage in their subconscious that when you want to try to deliver them and help them, they have filled that area of their life with so much. They were the people that hurt me, the pain and all of that stuff. And oh, what happened to me? It's all down in there in your subconscious. And so you walk around defeated. But Jesus came not just to save your spirit, but he came to save your mind. So the Bible said, think on these things. What sort of things are true, lovely, good report, any virtue, etc. He said, think on these things. You got to get in the Word of God. You got to read the words. You got to think on the Word of God. You got to think on things that are good and right and virtuous. And it will begin to affect your subconscious. So that when you go to bed, you're not just dreaming about your old life. But all of a sudden, when you're dreaming about your old life, a man stands up in that dream named Jesus who goes to war with your old life and says, that's who you used to be. But I'm going, I'm going to change your mind, your conscience, and your subconscious. Woo, praise God. God's awesome. See, we are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a very complex being. Your spirit saved, yeah. But that's not all there is to it, honey. When you get in the kingdom of God, there is a passion for Suke. There's a passion for the woman. There's a passion to save that soul, to save that conscience, to save that mind, to save that personality, to save that disposition. Some of you won't hear me because you know I'm hitting the nail on the head. And God doesn't just want to change your personality, disposition, and your conscience and your subconscious. He wants to change your reputation. <laughs> Say reputation. <laughs> your reputation is what everybody says about you when you're not around. Some of it correct, some of it not correct. I said reputation. What people say around you, about you when you're not around is your reputation. Oh, y'all aren't getting this, are you? We, none of us would want to hear what people are saying about us when we're not there. Some of the things they're saying is not true. Some of it is true. But whatever, right or wrong, it's still your reputation. The woman has a reputation in her that's so, so much that she, she has this way about her that she doesn't even believe that her children, her daughter, needs anything. Because she doesn't live in reality. God wants you to live in reality, honey. He wants you to say, hey, not only do you need God, you got a bad reputation, then let God change your reputation. And give you a good reputation. And you can't walk around looking at your daughter and say, she don't need God. You need to say, no, I need God. She needs God. <laughs> Women have a tendency to look at their children unrealistically. They look at their daughters especially unrealistically. And they look at them and say, you don't need anything. Yeah, they need God just as bad as you need God. 
They need their reputation to be changed. It will change. It will affect your appearance, women. Say appearance. How many of y'all believe y'all need to be changing your appearance? <laughs> my woman, my soul needs to change her appearance. <laughs> her attitude's not good sometimes, etc. Hello. Are y'all getting any of this? Change your appearance. You got to think right, though, to change your appearance. Oh, God. It gets quiet on me when I start talking about this. As a woman, you have to be a woman who will groom yourself. Oh, God. Don't talk to us about that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Need to comb your hair, brush your teeth. God, so do men. I know that. Don't get me wrong here. But do you know that if your grooming is not correct, that is a bad witness? I said, that's a bad witness. Well, I don't have much to work with. Well, work with what you got. You can brush your hair, can't you? Your shirt don't have to be all wrinkled and, you know. Amen. Brush your teeth, can't you? Shoe your shine. Shine your shoes. Shoe your shine. <laughs> but I don't have time. No, man. When you walk with God, it affects your appearance. It will affect your weight. Oh, this is touchy. <laughs> Oh, Lord, he's talking about weight now. He's really in trouble now. Don't he know he's never supposed to talk about women's weight? <laughs> Come on. Oh, y'all don't want to touch that, do you? Why is it, I always ask this question, why is it just before you got married, that's when you joined the spas, or, or that's when you bought the running machine, and, and you know, all of that. Why is it when, before you got married, you did that? And then you got married, you let it all hang out, baby. Why is that? And then when you find out that your husband ran off on you for another woman, I'm not saying that's right, that is wrong. But why is it when you find that out and you find out that you're on the verge of divorce that then you start hitting the weights again and get beautiful? I can't tell you how many women I've seen that happen to them. They look beautiful when they get married then they just let it all hang out after they get married and then on the verge of divorce that's when they get all thin again. That's when they're running again. Hallelujah. That's when they go on a diet again, you know, because they're trying to get beautiful, trying to hold on what they've already lost. You should be doing that to why you got him, honey. Y'all don't want me to talk about this, do you? <coughs> I can't tell you how many young women I've seen that happen to. They, they, they just, they're beautiful at first, then they just let it, all, let it all go. And then when they find out their marriage is falling completely apart, then they try to get all beautiful again. 
And I asked my wife one time, I said, why do they do that, Christina? Why do they do that? Why don't they do that before? It's not a license. Just let it all hang out, man, when you get married. When you start living for God, that doesn't give you a license. Oh, and, and it applies to men too. Hallelujah. For you got married, you and Mr. Universe. <laughs> then you got married and let it all hang out. Wonder why she don't want you no more. <laughs> Glory to God. When you get older, you got to work harder at it. I know, man. Praise the Lord. <coughs> See, God wants to change our appearance. He's an awesome God. God will affect the work of the woman in her house. Instead of walking around and dropping and complaining all the time, boys, I've been working all day. I've been working my fingers to the bone. Look, my hands, when I shake people's hands, they, they know I've been uh, washing dishes because my hands are all scaly and rough. They know I've been wrestling with the bulls on the range. Hallelujah, when they shake my hand, they shake the hand of a man. <laughs> well, let me go back to appearance a little bit. Let me tell you how to fix that. Take a little bit of lotion and go. <sighs> Praise the Lord, man. Put some lotion, that's real easy to fix. But anyway. I've got to wash dishes all the time. My hands, look at my hands, you know. I've got to work. I work my fingers to the bones. And I gripe and complain all day long. About, and I know that you work hard. I'm not trying to put you down. I'm talking about how powerful you are. But griping about it doesn't get you anywhere. I'll tell you what you do. You need to make that a sacrament under God. You need to make that a sacrifice under God and say, God, I'm doing this for you. I give this as a sacrifice to you right now, God. I don't like doing this. You know I don't like it, God, but I'm bringing it to you as a sacrifice of praise. I'm washing these dishes right now as a sacrifice of praise. I'm kicking, I'm kicking the roaches at the door, a sacrifice of praise. I'm taking the trash out, sacrifice of praise. Mopping the floor, getting the stink out of the house. Sacrifice of praise. Make it a sacrament. God wants to change every area of my woman's life. Every area. And thank God there's some powerful women like Lois and like Lydia that are examples. When she, and she said this, hey men, if you see me faithful, come into my house and abide in my house. I'm not ashamed for you to walk in my house. My house is cleaned up. Not just, I'm not just talking about a physical house. I'm talking about a spiritual house. My house spiritually is cleaned up. My mind spiritually cleaned up. My attitude's right. My heart's right. My reputation's right. My personality's right. My disposition's right. Come into my house. Come into Lydia. This woman would not have invited an apostle into her house if she wasn't spiritually clean, so mentally clean, bodily clean, her physical house intact. She would never ask him to come in.
Have you seen me faithful? You see me faithful? Look at your neighbor and say, see me faithful? If you see me faithful, then I'm not ashamed to have you come into my house. But if I'm not faithful, then I'm ashamed for you to come into my house, to come into my mind, to come into my body, to come into my spirit. I am ashamed for you to come into that part of my life that I know isn't what it should be. But Jesus has come to change all of that in your life. And when he does that, he'll clean up the outside. He'll clean up your whole life will be affected. You'll rightly relate to your husband. Jesus, even the husband in your life, you'll rightly relate to him when you get it in order. Give God praise. Are you willing to invite him into your house? Jesus? Into your spiritual house, soulless house? Body, are you, are you wanting to invite him into your physical home? Or would you be ashamed of what's laying around on the tables and what's underneath the chairs and what's hidden? Some of you men have hidden things. You have hidden sin in your life. And because of that, it's manifesting itself in rebellion. You've got hidden things, hidden sin. Oh, God, God's good. And if you've got hidden sin in your life, it causes certain things to manifest in you. Attitudes that manifest. Rebellion manifests in you. A lot of times, men who start rebelling in the church are men who have hidden things in their life. Pornography. I'm just going to talk about it right now. Pornography. Unclean things in their life. They've got hidden. Nobody knows about. But God knows about it, and they know about it. And so when they come to church, they feel that spirit of conviction come on them, and it makes them rebellious. And they start rebelling against the pastor because they know something's not right in their house their soul their woman has been looking at things she's not supposed to look at men of God you gotta hear me and now because of their subconscious is filled with trash and they dream about it at night they're pregnant with things they're not supposed to be pregnant with Which brings me needed to the next woman. Hallelujah, man. I got a, ooh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This is just practical. I know it probably don't make any sense, but it's practical. The Bible says after this, after this woman, Lydia is converted. The scripture says she's baptized, and then she, she constrained them. She said, Come into my house and abide there. She's not ashamed. She's not ashamed. She's not hanging her head. She's saying, come on, I want fellowship with you, apostle. I want fellowship with you, man of God. I want fellowship with you, Jesus. I want fellowship with you. She's not ashamed. She doesn't run from that. God, God's good. We come now, the Bible says, it came to pass as we went to prayer, as we went to prayer, a certain woman, damsel, Possessed with a spirit of divination. Or literally, that word there literally means to be possessed. She is pregnant with a spirit of divination. She's got a spirit. She's a fortune teller. She's, she's got the spirit of Python in her. The spirit of Python. I've studied all kinds of spirits in my ministry. Multitudes of spirits. I've studied them. I've studied the way they operate. I've studied the way they move. I've studied the way they act. I've studied the operation of spirits. This woman had the spirit of Python in her. She had the spirit of fortune telling. She had the spirit of divination. I have personally dealt with. I'm talking about the woman here. 
I'm t- I have personally dealt with women with a spirit of divination in church. I have personally dealt with a s- women with a spirit of divination outside of the church. I know what I'm talking about. I dealt with a woman who was a fortune teller uh, here in Odessa, Texas. I went and I talked to her. I said, do you know that what you're doing is a sin against God? It's divination. It is in the occult. She said, no, preacher. She said, what I'm doing is not wrong because I do it in the name of Jesus. You see, I've got my altars here. I've got my saints out front. You can see the saints that I have placed out in front of my house. If I were to tell you where she is, you know exactly where she is. I'll tell you, she's off of Grand Grandview over there and she's right off the main street and she's got her statues out there and she claims to be a Catholic and all of this come on listen to where I'm coming from she claims to be a Catholic and she claims that everything she does that she does in the name of Jesus I told her let me tell you something what you're doing is not in the name of Jesus because Jesus doesn't give you the power to get involved in reading tarot cards Jesus doesn't give you the power to exercise the spirit of divination Jesus didn't give you the spirit to do this the stuff that you're doing here it's not God it's the devil so I know what I'm talking about because I've talked to them personally myself people who have the spirit of divination some of them are fake and some of them are real but I've also had women in my church one particular woman in my church who had the spirit of divination I know what I'm talking about I preached this on Brazos this section of the scripture one time on Brazos this woman, if I, I'm not going to tell you who she is, but this woman was Holy Ghost filled. A man of prayer, a woman of prayer, a woman of fasting, a woman that was committed and loved me and loved the church. But she started getting into clairvoyancy or divination or fortune telling. And she didn't realize when she crossed the line that that's what she was in. And so she called me on the phone one night. She said, Pastor, she said, I'm trying to help somebody locate a missing person. And I have in my mind envisioned a particular house. A particular house. And she began to describe that house where she believed that that particular person would would be found. The Lord spoke to me. And I'm talking about a woman who's been in my church for, for a while. The Lord spoke to me, clairvoyant. She's operating in a clairvoyant spirit. She's got the Holy Ghost. But she has given herself over to a spirit of divination. I didn't say she was possessed by that spirit. I said she gave herself over to the operation of that spirit. You can be Holy Ghost filled and still give yourself over to spirits. That will influence your life. And so as I was talking to her, the Spirit of God spoke to me. He said, clairvoyant. She's operating as a clairvoyant right now. Well, some of you have seen them on, on television. When I, when I even see a particular person's face, I know she's a clairvoyant. I know she's involved in divination. I won't even land on the channel. I'll just keep on going on by. You don't have anything to do with your horoscope. Because that's divination. Anyway, I see, you've seen them on television. Able to so-called predict the future and all that. Uh, they're div- the diviners, fortune tellers. Come on, are you with me? What do they do? Sometimes the police go to them and say, Hey, can you help us describe this person that committed this crime? That's divination. Are you with And that's what this woman got caught up in. So I stood up that one, one night. I can't remember what service it was. I think it was a Sunday night. I stood up and I preached from this text right here. And as I did, I, I preached this text here. 
And the Bible says that as Paul and them were going up to pray, and of course their purpose was to go and minister there. They found one woman of God in there, and now they've got a, a, another woman who's got a spirit. <coughs> now, let me read you the text so you'll understand. She's got the spirit of this python, this divination, this fortune-telling spirit, met us, which brought her masters much gain by what? Soothsaying or by divination. The same follow Paul and us cried, saying, These men are the servants of who? Most High God. Not the servants of Elohim, the Creator God, but the servants of the Most High God, the God who sits upon the throne. She said, they are the servants of the Most High God. The Spirit is speaking out of her. This Python spirit, the spirit of divination. Okay? So she recognizes that they are true men of God. Now notice how Paul handles this. God's good. The same follow Paul and us, Christ saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. Say with me, many days. This particular sister that I'm talking about that was in our church went for years and let God use her. Speak in tongues. Gifts of the Spirit. Praying. Really walking close to God. Loving the ministry. But she crossed over into divination. Now watch this. God at times would, would, would talk to me about this. But you know... You've got to be sure about things like this. You can't just rush in there and say, you've got a spirit of a clairvoyant. You can't just rush in there and do that. You've got to walk close to God. and You've got to take care of certain things in God's timing. The Bible said this young damsel had this spirit of div uh, divination and followed Paul how many? Many days. Paul, you know, if he wasn't led by God, if he was led like a lot of people are today, he would have thought it's his, just his responsibility to go lay hands on everybody and cast out every devil. God, hear me today. He's an apostle. But he don't just walk over there and say, hey, I'm an apostle. And because you've got a spirit, you're going out of here right now. The Bible said he let that spirit of divination and that damsel follow them many days before he ever took action against the spirit. There was a time in God when he had to take care of it. But there was a time when he only recognized or discerned what was operating in that woman. But even after discerning it, he doesn't immediately take care of it. Now, why does he not just cast the spirit out? Well, this young woman is crying out something. The devil is not saying, these are not men of God. The devil is not coming against the church that way. The devil is trying to join the church. The devil is trying to get undercover. Spirits like to come under, un, 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 undercover. Are you with me right now? See, do you understand what I'm saying? This spirit is not opposing the church. This spirit is saying, these are the servants of the Most High God and show us the way of salvation. Not opposing the message, but backing it up. Now, after many days, you've got to hear me right now because we're living in such a a crazy, crazy system of religion. 
that just because you've got the Holy Ghost doesn't mean God wants you to go lay hands on everybody. Just because you've got God doesn't mean that you're supposed to cast out devils. You might be working with somebody that's got a devil, but that doesn't mean God told you to cast the devil out. Because listen, if they don't want deliverance and you cast the devil out of them, then what happens is you open the door for the devil to bring seven more with him and enter into that person because that person has not been filled with the Spirit of God. They are an empty vessel who've been swept and cleansed. But they're empty and if you walk up there cast out devils all the time then what you've done if that person doesn't get converted is you've just simply opened the door for the devil to make that person worse than they were before so there's some things sometimes you don't get involved with it you don't confront it you don't deal with it until God says it's time because if you do if you do get involved with it before the time, God. And even sometimes when you get involved on time, it doesn't end up pretty. God, you've got to hear what I'm saying. I am dealing right now, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm dealing with a man who's walking in a spirit of haughtiness. Or rebellion. He's been there for months. But I have been very, very patiently trying to reach him. Trying to love him. Trying to care for him. trying Even letting him do things. I know where he is. He's rebelling. Okay, he's in rebellion. But I know this right now. That if I stand up and I take authority over the spirit of haughtiness. I'm not just talking about a work of the flesh here. A spirit of haughtiness. That it can end up worse than it is now because what will happen is that rebellion will intensify. They'll walk out of the church and pretty soon they're seven times worse than they were before. So I'm waiting on God to tell me when and how to deal with it. Because they can open up, you can, you can open them up to more problems than they ever would have had if you had just left the devil in them. You're not hearing what I'm saying. But this spirit keeps on and keeps. the Spirit's doing. It's not harming anything. All the Spirit's doing here is saying these are the servants of the Most High God and show us the way of salvation. The devil's not causing you problems, is it, Paul? It's backing you up, Paul. So after many days, the Spirit, this in this woman, this, this girl that's pregnant with the spirit of divination... After many days, Paul being grieved, the Bible says, it literally means he was wore out. He was wore out dealing with that spirit and that woman crying out, even though it was confirming or affirming what they were doing. It wore him out. And so he turns around at that time and he says, Come out of her. And the spirit of divination came out of her. Are you with me right now? Do you understand what I'm telling you? God's good. I said, God's good. 
I never read about her conversion though. All I read about is her deliverance from that spirit. She was pregnant with that spirit. That night when I preached this message along these lines, I walked up to that sister who I loved extremely. Loved. Grabbed her by the hand. I said, come on, sister. I said, let's go around the church and let's worship God. She pulled back. She had never done that before to me, never. She pulled back like that. She walked out the door and I never saw her again. If she had been led by the Spirit of God, she would have been willing for her pastor to correct her. If she had been led by the Spirit of God, she would have let me deal with that area of deception that was operating in her that she couldn't even see if it was God. It wasn't God. And when I, when I confronted it, she pulled back. That tells me what spirit she had. I followed her out the door. I said, Sister so-and-so, I said, don't do this. Don't do this. I'm not saying that you've got a devil. I'm saying that that spirit has come over you at times. You've operated and didn't even know it. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I've never seen her again. So I'm telling y'all something, church, right now. That you have to walk by the Spirit of God. You have to know when and how to do certain things. Because you can cause great damage. By walking around thinking you lay hands on everybody anytime you want to. Because you got God. You better watch it. Because if your spirit's not rightly submitted to the authority in this house, I know what spirit you're operating under. Yeah, you've got the Holy Ghost. But you can begin to operate in the spirit of divination. Fortune tellers. There are preachers who stand behind pulpits who are fortune tellers. There are people who sit in pews. that They think it's the gifts of the spirit. They're nothing more than clairvoyance. They're fortune tellers. And you have to be very close to God. And I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying you have to be very close to discern the difference between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the devil. Because sometimes the devil will camouflage himself as an angel of light. And when he puts on that white suit, that light suit, it's very hard to discern him from the truth. Hello? So I've dealt with him out in the world, and I've dealt with him in the church. And I had to tell you about the one in the church, because a lot of people just, it blows their mind when I say that. <coughs> Shortly thereafter, Brother Edmonds from Taiwan flew into the States. I very rarely, very rarely, very rarely, almost never tell anybody, any minister, any pastor, any apostle, any missionary, anything that's going on in my church. Never. I deal with it. I let God deal with it. Are you with me? I let our local house deal with it. But this particular time I was led by God. To, I, God told me to. He said, you share with Brother Edmonds about this clairvoyant spirit. So I told Brother Edmonds. I said, Brother Edmonds, I said, I want to tell you something that happened in our church. I had a sister in the church that was filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in his name. Loved the ministry, loved the church. But she got, uh, oh, back up here. I didn't tell, her, tell him that it was a woman. I didn't tell him it was a woman. I said, somebody. He looked at me and he said, Brother Carter, he said it was a woman, wasn't it? I said, it sure was. He knew exactly. God told him exactly what was going on. So that feeling that I was carrying around, 
Did I do right? Was it God? What happened was that God and trying to deal with that, you know, that struggle that goes on in the heart of a, of a, of a man who loves people. Did I do what was right? God used Brother Evans to confirm that it was a woman that had that spirit. So I tell you that to let you know. You might be filled with the Holy Ghost, but if you don't walk where you're supposed to walk in God, these gates of your soul will open you up to spirits that will control and dominate your life. And you walk around confirming, yeah, this is God, and this is God, and this is God. But you yourself have a spirit of divination on you. It's good, isn't he? So I ask you then, why did Paul cast his spirit out? Well, Micah talks about it, the spirit of divination. Isaiah talks about the spirit of divination, soothsaying, fortune telling, horoscopes. Do you know, listen, I'm preaching about the woman today. I'm preaching about Suke. Do you know that 90% of horoscopes are read by women? They're read by women. Very few men read their horoscope. Women. Look at those that are on the television, so-called, who are given these, pro- these fortune-telling things, and most of them are women. Look at it. I'm not putting down women. I'm just telling. This woman was susceptible to a spirit. Now, Paul cast this spirit out because he did not want anybody to think that what he was doing and the power he was operating in was a spirit, the same spirit that was in her. If he lets her keep doing what she's doing, everybody's going to think that every miracle that he does is done by the same power that she does her miracles by. So Paul said, get out of her. helping anybody be careful God is awesome isn't he (coughs) and after a long long dealing with his spirit he finally does it it's not the first day he gets there come out of here You leave them open to things. You leave them open to great, great darkness in their life. You leave them open to more problems than they had before if you just let the Spirit in them. But there comes a time if that Spirit keeps interrupting and keeps bringing discord and confusion and problem, there comes a time when that man of God has to stand up and say, Get out of here. Do you hear what I'm saying? And it's only after much patience. And and it's only when you hear God say, now you're going to have to deal with it. Heard God tell me just the other day, uh, you know, I had some good signs coming with this particular individual that, man, they're on their way back. Oh, praise God. I'm not talking to anybody here right now, so don't think it's you. But if it's you, then you need to get, if you think it's you, just repent and get over it. (coughs) People come to me and say, Pastor, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? I say, well, if it is, just repent and get right. Get for the Holy Ghost. That's all I know to tell you. When I preach like this, it scares some people. It most of the time scares the people who don't, you know, don't have it. The ones who don't have any fear about it are the ones that got it around them. So anyway, if you think you've got that spirit, I'll tell you what you do. 
You just get full of the Holy Ghost. Pray and send it away. Amen. But I see one particular individual making head, you know, making ways, making ways, getting a little better. Hoping, hoping, hoping. I don't have to deal with that. The Holy Ghost said to me, you're not going to have, you can't let it go anymore. You're going to have to confront it. And you know what's going to happen? One of two things. I'll tell, tell it, say this every time. One of two things. When I confront it, they're going to get more rebellious and leave the church. Or they're going to repent and get right with God. Because it's not a personal thing I've got going on against them. But most people can't see the spirit that operates on them and through them. They can't see it. And they'll fight to say, I'm right. Instead of to say, I need to be made right. I'm pregnant with things. I've got cut off. I'm sick with a tumor in my womb. I'm pregnant with spirits I need to be delivered from. You wouldn't have done this girl any good to change addresses. Well, the spirit's out of this person now. Are y'all okay out there? <laughs> Amen. I pray this is helping somebody here. Look at the way this apostle operates in the spirit. Look at the time he allows this to go on without doing anything about it. Look at the reason why he did it when he did it. All of that. See that. If you're involved in horoscope reading today, don't ever do it again. Because most divination people, clairvoyant people involved in reading horoscopes, reading knots on their heads, on people's heads, telling you the truth. They, they have props they use. They read handwriting. Handwriting analysis. With me? They're involved in occult video games. And by being involved in occult video games, they open themselves up to those spirits. You better look and check and see what video games your children are playing with. Because if they're playing with occult video games, they're, they're, tell them to call up spirits, spirit guides to help them, spirit guides to help them defeat certain things. You better get that out of your house as soon as you can. Because you've got the spirit of divination operating in an occult video game. You better be sure what your kids are watching cartoons, what kind of cartoons they're watching. There's magic, there's witchcraft, all that stuff is divination. You better make sure that they're not watching all that stuff because you are opening your house up to the demonic and your children to the demonic. It's quiet in here right now. One woman who deals with this type of spiritual warfare has written a book, Strong Man's His Name, What's His Game? She said one time she went to a conference and she was speaking at a conference. I'm going to let y'all go in a minute because I know some of y'all are tired and that could be a spirit too.
But she said she went into a Christian church and was preaching on spiritual warfare. She asked the people to lift their hands if they were involved in reading the horoscope. She said 90% of the people in the church, women, lifted their hands. So listen to me, church. A lot of this stuff that we think is all out in the world is sitting right here in the pew with us. And then we sit around and we wonder why we are oppressed, why we can't praise, why we can't get off the pew and worship. While we're dealing with all this stuff in our life, we've opened the door to the occult to walk into our life. And you got, oh God, you got to take authority over that. <coughs> Praise the Lord, somebody. How many of y'all love Jesus today? I'm feeling my spirit that real soon God's going to have us have a deliverance service for our church. Not for the world, but for the church. Bro, I don't have no devil, pastor. God, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've been walking around with that devil so long, you made a friend of him. These men prostituted her. They prostituted her gifting. It was a satanic gifting, but they still prostituted her. Women are prostituted. When the Spirit left her now, she's not any good to them. All she was was somebody that was bringing in the dollar for them. Now her gifting's gone, and it makes these men angry. So they go and get apostles. And eventually they go in and take them before the law court and say, these men have, are bringing customs that are not lawful for us to hear. <sighs> eventually they get thrown in prison in Philippi. Y'all remember the story, right? And pretty soon they're sitting. They got beat. They beat them. Put them in stocks and chains. And there they're sitting in a prison cell in Philippi for casting the spirit out of them. All of a sudden at midnight, Silas and Paul start talking. Say, you know what? It's about time for us to do some praising. It's time for us to worship God. <coughs> Thank God they never got super spiritual. Did you see us? Woo, Lydia got you see that conversion of Lydia? Did you see that devil go out of that woman? Woo! Man. <coughs> now we're in prison all whooped, beat up. Got stripes on our back. Well, we're spiritual enough. We don't need to pray. We don't need to worship. What's all that about anyway? If you don't, Paul, if you don't, Silas, watch. Watch this. You've got God. You're full of the power of God. But remember this. The spirit that you just cast out, a python spirit, if you don't worship God and praise God, that spirit's going to come around and try. It's already tried to destroy you. It's already tried to imprison you. It's already tried to make, a, it'll make an apostle a prisoner. It'll make a man of God a prisoner. And if you don't worship your way out of it, praise your way out of this, you're going to stay in this prison house.
So they worshiped and they praised God. Let's, ooh, God's good. <coughs> and, and all of a sudden, the jail opens up wide, you know, and the jailer gets converted. And we don't have a lot of time to get into all that, but he gets born again, he and his house. Now, a lot of times, though, we do like to do this, though. We do like to say, well, that's Bible that proves and says that if I got saved, everybody in my house is going to. Where do you get that? Just because you got saved doesn't mean everybody in your house is going to. That doesn't teach that. Hello? He got water baptized, so that means his children must have got baptized. Where do you get that? Doesn't say his children got baptized. Doesn't teach infant baptism. Where do you get that? Doesn't say he got, had children. For you to say his children got baptized is to read into the scripture that they got baptized and that he even had children. That's like saying that he had a house full of canaries. Hello? Well, Acts, not Acts 16 says that when the jailer got baptized, his whole household got saved too. And that's Bible that's proof that my whole house is going to get saved. Sometimes they don't. We hope and pray they do. Are y'all okay out there? But at midnight, man, they're singing praise of God, worship God, all beating everything else. Then they... This man gets saved, gets born again. They baptize him in Jesus' name after midnight. Must mean that baptism is essential. Well, why doesn't it say there that they were baptized in Jesus' name? And why doesn't it say there that they spoke in tongues? It doesn't have to. Because it's already an established doctrine. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. It's already established that when you get born again, you repent, get baptized, just same, get filled with the Holy Ghost. So that's exactly what he did. It's already been an established doctrine. It doesn't have to be repeated. Are y'all okay out there? And then so from there, they go, hallelujah, praise the Lord. They go over back to Lydia's house. Verse 40, they went out of the prison. And they're in the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they com com comforted them and de departed. Isn't that crazy? That before they leave Philippi, after being beat, they walk over there to Lydia and to the brethren that are there, the, the church people, and they comfort them. Comfort them. You've just been beat. You've been imprisoned. And you go to the church and you're comforting them. Blows my mind. These are real men. They're not fakes. They're not phonies. They're not wannabes. They don't have titles that mean nothing. These men are men of God. They go to a church when they got all kinds of physical problems and been beaten and everything else. All kinds of spiritual attack, warfare, and all kinds of problems all around them. But they go back to the church and they stand up and they encourage and they comfort the house of God. These are real men of God. And worship when they've been beaten. These are real men of God. We need real men of God. Real women of God. We got some in this church. We've got some. I'll see some of you. Real men. Real women of God. 
That blows my mind. They walk in there and they come for the church after all they've been through. Do you see that? That's powerful, man. And so the Bible goes on and tells us right here in verse chapter 17. When they had passed through Amphili Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews. <coughs> And Paul, as man it was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture, opening the legend that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, that this Jesus whom I preached unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Now, I'm sorry to bother you right now, but uh, your cowboy football game already started. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with you. You get home, watch the last quarter or whatever. But anyway. Well, why you do that, Pastor? That, that wasn't God. You kicked that watch like that. Well, one time I threw a clock all the way across the, 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 the whole church building. And right after I did that, at 10 o'clock, somebody got the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, right after I threw the clock, they got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hallelujah. <coughs> I mean, he's preaching Christ again, right? Where at? He goes over to Thessalonica. Read first and second Thessalonians sometimes. I don't have time. If I had another five or six hours, I could preach it to you. But he goes over there in the Thessalonians. You got another problems he's got to deal with. He gets over in Thessalonia, and he, people start getting in the church. And when they get in the church, they don't want to work no more. You know, Paul is preaching to them about the, coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture. You know. Hallelujah. Eventually, the Bible tells us that there's a big uproar again, another fight. And everywhere he went, it was revival or riot. And pretty soon he has to catch a boat. He leaves Silas and Timothy behind there. And, and you know, they go over to Berea first. And then uh, after this and I could go to Berea first. And then from there, then he's got to catch a ship out of town. By himself, he goes over to Athens. He leaves Timothy and Silas there in that Berean Thessalonican country there. Are you with me here? Read it for yourself. Okay, read it. Hallelujah. And pretty soon, Silas and Timothy come over there and talk to Paul. Said, hey, Paul, we got problems. Because you remember when you told them about the rapture and, and the resurrection and, and all of that? Well, we got some of them dying over there. And they're worried that they've missed the resurrection. And, you know, and, and some of them, by the way, some of them don't want to work anymore because it's a hippie colony. This is the, really the, the church of the hippies. If you want to find the church of the hippies, this is Thessalonica. That's who they are. So, you know, Jesus is coming any time, so why work? <laughs> why work? What's the use? Go put a white sheet on sit on the top of the house. 
Because he's coming. Don't need a job. Don't need nothing, you know. Don't pay your bills. Charge your credit up, you know. Charge your credit card up to the hilt, to the top you can. Jesus is coming anyway. Might as well. <laughs> don't need to work. Don't need to worry about paying the bills. <clears throat> Are y'all with me here? So then Paul's got to write a letter to, the, to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. And he writes a second Thessalonians letter to him to correct some problems that were there. This guy is just, he's having to deal with a lot of stuff, isn't he? <sighs> Had to get out of town. So anyway, let's talk about him getting out of town a little bit, can we? Had to, okay. Goes over to Athens. <coughs> he gets over there. Zechariah 9 comes in here. Let's go to Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9. Verse 13. When I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. God said there's going to come a time when he's going to raise up the sons of Zion against the sons of Greece. And so Paul walks into Athens, Greece. As he's walking through Athens, Greece, this particular place, you will find, has a Jewish synagogue there. There is a one God church in town. Give me my coat. One God church in town, a Jewish synagogue. But as Paul walks through the city, he sees the city wholly given to idols. Idols everywhere. Idols for every pursuit of life. An idol for pleasure. An idol for work. An idol for sports. Idol for every pursuit of life. There were more false gods in Athens, Greece than there were men. With a one God church sitting in town. And a one God church doing nothing about it. A one God church saying nothing and doing nothing about it. So Paul, this one God apostolic Jesus name, Holy Ghost, filled tongue talking, blare eyed, crazy, fired up preacher walks in town. He looks at all these idols that are there in this town. And the Bible said that his spirit was stirred within him. He literally got fired up. And he saw all this idolatry. Why didn't that one God church get fired up? Why didn't they say anything? Because they got comfortable with their surroundings. They stopped making a difference. But God said prophetically in Zechariah 9, He said that the sons of Zion would be stirred up against the sons of Greece. And so Paul walks into that place. He is fired up and stirred up. And he starts preaching. Oh God, God's good. <coughs> oh, y'all read this story. I don't have all this time, but... Bible says in verse 17, Therefore dispute he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and the market daily with them that met with him. And that guy something else. You can't shut him down. You can't shut him up. He's fired up, stirred up, preaching in the marketplace, preaching in the highways and the byways. 
the scripture says, wow. <coughs> Verse 16, now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city holy, given an idolatry, therefore he disputed him in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons in the, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers, say philosophers. You can give your woman to philosophy if you want to. She can become an Epicurean or she can become a Stoic. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I've just, I've hung so many wires I don't even know where my ceiling is now. Some women become Epicureans. They get caught up in philosophy. Some women are Stoics. They get caught up in philosophy. Some here in this part of this, the text, there's chief, chief women and honorable women that are coming into the church. But there's some women that get caught up in the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophy. What is an Epicurean? An Epicurean believes in God's plural, but they don't believe that he gets involved. Or they get involved. They are the evolutionist of the day. Evolution is not a new thing with Darwin. Evolution was around in the days of the apostles. Are y'all just getting so wore out? Y'all so tired, you can't handle anymore. Epicureans are the evolutionists of their day. They are really the deists of their day. They believe in gods, but they don't believe that their gods get involved. Okay? And that everything is just going along, you know. Hallelujah. And their chief, chief goal in life is peace of mind. That's their chief goal in life. Just, I want peace of mind. They don't believe in life after death. So their whole focus is get peace of mind by the end of life. They don't believe in an afterlife. Praise the Lord. They don't believe that God gets involved. He's out there somewhere and never gets involved in people's lives. They're evolutionists. <coughs> then you got the Stoics. The Stoics, on the other hand, they believe that God is in everything. They are pantheists. God is in everything. He's in nature. He's in that plant. He's in this water. He's in that speaker. He's in everything. Are you with me? I'm telling you the truth. That's the Stoic. The Stoic is they, they believe, come on, they believe in gods, but they are more self-focused. Self-focused, self-made. Hello, somebody. Self-sufficient. Hello. You can see them when they come. They sit there expressionless in church. Hello. <laughs> They've given themselves to a philosophy. Okay, hello. So anyway, the Bible says, then Paul, you know, he wants to be smart too. So he starts quoting some of the philosophers that these Stoics and Epicureans know about. But he never mentions the name of Jesus or the cross. He talks about God, that he, this, this man 
is going to judge someday. He got the Epicureans' attention because they didn't believe in the judgment in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the afterlife. And Paul's preaching about the resurrection of, of this man. A man got resurrected? What do you mean? There is no afterlife. Judgment in the afterlife? What do you mean? We don't believe in the afterlife. But Paul never preaches about Jesus crucified. And they, he never even names him. <coughs> what he does is he quotes what he does. He quotes philosophers. Are you with me here? God. The power is not in philosophy. The power is in the Word of God. The power is in the message of the cross. You could take your woman to psychologists and philosophers and whatever kind of brand they are. It, they'll never help you. They'll never get you fixed. It takes the message of the cross. Save you in the name of Jesus to do it in you. And so we go on. The Bible says, okay, here we go. Some said, what will this babbler say? What this guy, this little sparrow, the word babbler literally means a spermazologos. This, this <coughs> one translator says it's a crow that goes around and picks up little pieces here and there. Another translator says it's a sparrow that picks up little pieces here and there. And they're saying, what's this crow, this old crow going to tell us? Tell you the truth. Or what's this little sparrow, Paul, going to tell us? Because don't he know that we go over here and sit every day and talk about nothing? Our whole goal in life is philosophy. To learn some new thing. We just come here and sit around and talk about nothing all day long. Well, let's see what this little sparrow's got to add to this. This little picker, you know, he picks this and picks up this and picks up. He gets a little bit here and he gets a little bit over there and gets a little bit over here. Who knows where he gets all his energy? He's just a sparrow. Now, watch what Paul does. He's under pressure. <coughs> okay? He's... He seemed to be set forth the strange gods because he preaches unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, doesn't he suddenly say that he used the name of Jesus? It says he preached Jesus. Now, you got to see what I'm saying. We're going here. They took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. And it talks about all the Athenians and strangers which were spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. You are, you are reverent to demons. Philosophy, philosophia, means a lover or a fondness of wisdom. So they are lovers or fond of wisdom. Then Paul says that these philosophers are superstitious or they are reverent to demons. So what he's telling us here is this, that the philosophy that the Greeks were spreading was a wisdom of devils. Now, you can give yourself over to philosophy if you want to. 
the wisdom of demons, but I want the wisdom of God. <coughs> now watch here, watch this. Then Paul stood up in the midst of Marcel and said, You men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are too superstitious. For as I pass by, behold, behold your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Hallelujah. I believe it was like something like 600 years before they sent out sheep all over the, the country. And everywhere the sheep stopped and rested, they sacrificed it there to a God. And so, hello. And so, now they, they just said, in case we just missed a God here, we'll put an, an altar to an unknown God. Because we've got all these gods out here. We've got to make sure we took care of every one of them. No, so we'll just put an altar to an unknown God here. Paul said, well, that's the one I'm going to preach to you about. The one you don't know. <laughs> Amen. He goes on, God that made the world and all things that are in sin, that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in the temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and have determined the times before appointed. And the bounds of their habitation. And they sh that they should seek the Lord. And happily they might feel after him. And find him though he be not far from every, one of, from every one of us. For in him we live, move, and have our being. Now that. Look at this. As certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. He's quoting their philosophers. There was a philosopher in their day. That literally wrote this. For we, in him we live, move, and have our being. He's resorting to quoting philosophy. And then another one said, For we are also his offspring. Now, that doesn't mean that these sayings are wrong biblically. They are. What I'm trying to tell you is that Paul is trying to get smart. And he's trying to use human philosophy to reach them. That's why he said, Not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That your faith will not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now what does that mean? It means don't resort to human psychology and philosophy. What does it not mean? It does not mean to preach the deep things of God or not to preach the deep things of God. We are to preach the deep things of God. The wisdom of God. The knowledge of God. In its deepness. Paul said, I, I determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. To know nothing among you. To know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. That doesn't mean that Paul never preached anything but Christ and Him crucified. What he's saying is don't resort to human philosophy because it doesn't produce. He doesn't preach the cross here, but he, he goes in and he preaches up things that the philosophers were saying. Now, when he gets through, there's only a, a church. Listen, I know it's getting late. I'm sorry. I don't see a large church established here. In the future, there will be. But at this point, only a few people come into the kingdom of God. Dionysius, which means a servant of Bacchus, and a woman by the name of Demarius. I believe that's it. Yeah, Demarius. Demarius which means a heifer, another woman, comes in the church. And this man and just a few other people, that's it, church. That's why he said what he said to the Corinthian church. 
I'm determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. When I came to you, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. See, it's not, it's not that He's putting down the deep things of God and the wisdom of God. He's talking about man's wisdom. Next time I preach, He said, I'm going to preach Christ crucified. That's what I didn't preach there in Athens. And I didn't have very much results because I would not preach the finished work there. When he leaves Athens, as I said, he's only got a few disciples, one Areopagite. And then when he leaves there, he goes over to Corinth, and he is so discouraged. Don't worry, let him go. Don't worry, let him go. He is so discouraged when he leaves Athens, Greece. He gets over to Corinth. At that point, he is about ready to go back home. He is about ready to go back to Antioch because so little results took place in Athens. He gets over there, the Bible says, he finds a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Most of the time it's Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is named first because she's a very powerful prophetess of God. He finds these two. At this time, he's broke. Amen? Give me about 15 more minutes. He is broke. So, they're in Corinth because Priscilla and Aquila got kicked out of Rome. They find themselves in Corinth. Paul walks up there and he sees a sign. Aquila and Priscilla Tent Making Company. He says, by the way, I'm broke. I'm sure he could have had, he, he could have done two things, one or two things. He could have sent out, out a prayer letter and said, all you people out there, I don't have any money right now. Uh, I sent a prayer letter. Would you please send me some money? Tell you what, man, I, I got a video one time from somebody for the church to watch because it was a very powerful video. Do you know I get mail from that person almost every week on the week? Everything we ever spent on that video, he spent five times over in mailers asking me for some money. I'm telling you, at least once a week. Hello? We have never solicited on radio for radio broadcast or television for, radio, for television funds outside of our church. Never, not one time, not one time have we ever done that. We've never, oh God. I've never written letters to all the other churches saying, would you help me pay my church payment? Our buildings are going to close the door if you don't help us. Never have done that. Hallelujah. So anyway, I wonder if that thought crossed Paul's mind. I, I'm broke. Maybe I just sent him a letter. Woo! <laughs> Would you pray over this? And 10, 20, 50, 100, just mark it. And <clears throat> no, there came a time when, it, when Paul, who at this point was full-time in ministry, there came a time when he had to work. So he walks up to Quilla and Priscilla's house. He sees that tent-making company. He said, hey! I'm a good tent maker. Can I work with you? I know how to make these 
Talits that you're making. That's what I used to do back, you know, in the early parts of the book of Acts. I used to make these talits. And you know what? We could, we could really do good here. We can make, make, make ourselves some money to live on. And <clears throat> so he goes to work. Amen. And after a little while, though, God moves on the hearts of people that he's ministered to in the past. And as God moves on the hearts of those people in the past, they bring Paul an offering. Not because Paul solicited it, but because God moved on them. And they bring him an offering so he, can, he don't have to work. He can go ministry. You know what I'm saying? Work in a secular way. He can now go minister again the word of the Lord. God took care of him. He'll take care of us. He'll take care of us. See, if God doesn't take care of this church, it's time for there to be no church here. That's just the way I see it. I'm sorry if that crosses your thinking. But if we can't support what God's called us to do, then we don't need to be here. Okay? Amen. By the tithes and offerings of this local house. So I don't have to send out mailers to other churches and say, Hey, will you pay my church payment? And do you know we've never had to, thank God. You know, God's always took care of it. And He still is today. I mean, it's miraculous. Those people's minds. Brother Bobby was telling me the other day. He said, you know, he said, I got friends that know about this church. And they asked me, how many people are in your church? I'm just going to repeat He said I'll tell them It's not how big How many people we got It's how big our God is It's how big our God is <clears throat> He is big He is awesome He is awesome But it's not above It's not above me Or even my wife to work If God ever If it, if it comes a time When we have to We will We'll go out there And we'll work We have no problem with that I have no, in fact, sometimes I kind of like it. Sometimes I'm kind of tempted. Hallelujah. I heard about this BMW job that he got, you know. He got a job working for BMW. I said, hey, man, if you don't take it, let me know. <laughs> I was a little bit tempted. But I said, no, I, I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. You know? But anyway, I'm just trying to get a point across here, okay. But God's good. <coughs> he takes care of us. And he took care of Paul. But he gets over there and this, again, this time in Paul's life, he, he's down. In fact, with all the pressure that was on him, he, he wrote back to that church in Thessalonica. He said, will you pray for me? I don't ever hear Paul walking around saying, poor me. I don't hear Paul doing that. I don't hear him say, poor me. But I will hear him say, will you pray for me? I will hear him tell the truth about the pressure that's on him. That the struggle, the fight the, to get the gospel out. The passion that he had for this suke, the woman to be saved. Drove him all over the world. So he would say, would you pray for us? But he's down here because of the, the results of the last crusade he had. Only a few people came to, to God. And so anyway, the Bible goes on down here. <coughs> and you can read some of this. Verse 5, when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in spirit. 
testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed himself and blasphemed, he shook off his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go into the Gentiles. You Jews don't want it, I'll go to the Gentiles. He departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, remember Crispus and Gaius? Read 1 Corinthians. Crispus and Gaius came into the church. Read 1 Corinthians. Chief of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house. Many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision. Here, stop there. Don't read. Don't read. <coughs> He's starting to have a revival in Corinth. I just want to give you a little bit of background. I don't have time to preach five or six hours on the book of Corinth. Or the church of Corinth. Read the, Corinthian, the book of Corinthians. When he goes there, there's, there's all kinds of stuff there. It's, it's very bad. It's very bad. They worship Venus there. There's prostitution. Women are prostituted there big time. When he walks in that place, you know, have you ever heard of this statement, go paint the town red? You know, what are some other statements that people use? Paint the town red. Huh? Want to talk about going out there and just having a big old time? Huh? Paint the town red. Oh, you're in the modern day. <coughs> Party till you puke, okay? Get zoned. Well, in that day, you wouldn't say paint the town red. You would say, let's go get Corinthianized. Because they were so bad and so vile. Let's just go get Corinthianized. I pastor people that sometimes go get Corinthianized. <laughs> oh, God. Not really. Not really. Don't stone me. They just go out and they paint the town red. That's the kind of an atmosphere he's surrounded by. He's surrounded by all kinds of darkness. And, but he's got a few souls coming in. The synagogue, the chief ruler of the synagogue. Christmas is coming in. Gaius is going to come in. Got a few, but he's still down. He wants to quit right then, and he wants to go back to Antioch. He wants to go back home. I'm telling you the truth. But God. Verse 9, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Don't let him shut you up. For I am with thee. And no man shall set on me to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there one year and six months. So God, the Lord appeared to Paul to encourage him there. He said, you, you, you stand up and you preach. Don't let nobody shut you up. I'm not going to let anybody hurt you here. <coughs> so he encourages this discouraged man. Now, the Lord looks at Paul and says, I've got much people in this city. At this point, he's only seen a few people come into the church. Just a few people. And he's discouraged and has to be encouraged by divine intervention from God. He stays there another year and six months. And do you know, historians say that 60,000 people came to Jesus Christ in Corinth. There was a church of 60,000 people. Just before you're about ready to give up, remember that.
Because when you are about to give up, that is just about the time that you can see multitudes of people come into the kingdom of God. 60,000 souls in Corinth. What if he'd have let discouragement send him back to Antioch? What if he'd have just quit and gave up? 60,000 people would have never known the Lord. That is powerful, man. I don't want to quit. I don't want to quit. When the pressure gets intense, the battle gets intense, and you see few come in, I don't want to quit. Because I don't know what God has out there, and nor do you. You don't know what God has for your life. If you give in to that pressure and that discouragement, and that woman takes a hold of you, your mind starts working on you and saying, it's not worth it, what's the use, and all of that. Tried so hard, sacrificed so much. Be careful. Be careful. At times I have people tell me, Pastor, when I first got in the church, I sacrificed everything. I gave everything I had. I put myself 100% in the work. And then I started looking around and I saw other people in the church who didn't really, didn't really mean anything to them. Listen to me. Listen to me. I had somebody tell me this not long ago. They said, when I first got in the church, I gave everything I got. I lived sacrificially. But they said, when I'd go to church, I'd look around and see other people who when the word would go forth or whatever, they didn't even care. And they said, one of the reasons why I walked out of the church for a little while was because of that. But then on the other hand, they said, yeah, but then when I did that, I let some people down myself. So I'm guilty too. You understand what I'm trying to say? See, we have to be careful when we walk around and say, boy, we've given it all, we've sacrificed everything, and boy, all of that. And then we just see a few results. We have a tendency to want to give up. But we can't. If God tells you to go, go. But if God doesn't tell you to go, I don't care what you see, I don't care what you feel, I don't care what your circumstances are, you stay where God put you. I said... Because what will happen is you'll go somewhere else looking for peace of mind, looking for some better place, and you get there, and you still got the same problem you had before. So you, and, and even worse. So you might as well just stay where you are and watch. Just let God take care of it and let God use you. Leave the results in the hands of the Lord. That's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> is God <clears throat> he continues you're in six months spoke the word of God there he comes to Galileo was a deputy of Achaia the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat so they bring Paul again he, everywhere he goes he's got problems with these Jewish believers he brings it before Galileo was a deputy of Achaia now if you read this whole story you'll find out that this deputy here are y'all okay out there <sighs> We don't have Bible study at five, so y'all get 30 minutes. But he's sitting on the judgment seat. Galileo is sitting on the judgment seat or the Bema seat. He's sitting there. They bring Paul in front of him. Galileo, you know, he's this I don't care type of guy. No big deal to him. You with me here? 
And ultimately, he's lost because of that. He has his nonchalant attitude. I'm telling you the truth. <coughs> Are you all right out there? Paul preaches to him right there. Amen. Um, let me close this thing out here. <coughs> Verse 14, when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names of your law, look ye to it. For I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of those things. And because he didn't, he had a I don't care attitude, he went to hell with it. Amen? I'm talking about a powerful apostle preaching here. Powerful apostle standing there. And yet this man has an I don't care attitude that sends him to hell. Don't let that get a hold of you. Don't let that Galileo thing get a hold of you. Well, you sit there and you get this I don't care attitude. Nonchalant attitude. I care for none of these things. Don't let that ever get a hold of you. There's Pentecostal people been in Pentecost for 20, 30, 40 years. They got that a hold of them. They stop moving in God. They don't care about the Word of God anymore. The Word of God goes forth. It's no big deal to them. Move of God's no big deal to them. Church is no big deal to them. You get the spirit of Galileo, it'll send you to hell. He cared for none of these things. Are y'all all right? Man, I know, I know you must love God. <laughs> Verse 18, Paul after the, he, this tarried there yet a good while and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila having shorn his head in Centria for he had a vow he came to Ephesus, and now he finally makes it back over to Ephesus. He left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with him, he can consider not. He said, I can't stay here right now and preach to you because I got to go observe the feast up in Jerusalem, so I got to go back to Jerusalem. But if it's the will of God, I'll come back to you and preach the gospel to you. And ultimately, the third missionary journey, which he will do, he will end up back over in Ephesus and preach the gospel to them. And see, see fruit from, from that part of the world in Asia Minor. Isn't God awesome? Amen. Let's stand and worship God. Father, I just thank you right now. <laughs> For your presence, your word, your goodness. Giving us understanding, Lord God, of various things that the church may go through and confront, deal with. Most importantly, oh God, we know that you have a passion to not only save our spirit, but God, that you would save our soul, our suke, our woman, would be saved. I thank you for all the women in the passages that we've looked at today. The mother of Timothy, Lydia, and God, we thank you, Jesus, even for this damsel that at one time was possessed with a spirit of divination. We thank you for the chief women and the honorable women that came into the kingdom. We thank you, O oh God, for Demarius that came into the kingdom, Lord. 
We thank you, Jesus, for your passion to save women, to save us, save our soul. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you today for the opportunity to come here to church, to hear your word, to be in your presence. God, we love you. We lift up your name. And we are thankful, God, for we do care in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. We'll see you tonight at 530. God bless you.